Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the gifts have all been opened. The lights are starting to be turned off. I saw a tree out for the trash already. The music on the radio is back to the usual fare. Valentine's candy is out in the stores. And all the talk now is of New Year's. What celebrations will be taking place and how? And the hope that next year will be better than this year. It's interesting, the world can't wait for Christmas to get here. But once it does, it moves on so quickly to the next thing. Which is too bad. But not so for the church. And not only because our Christmas celebration lasts for the 12 days of the Christmas season. But because the church never moves on from Christmas. Because the word who became flesh, as we heard and rejoiced in two days ago, still is and always will be. For the Son of God, the Word made flesh, didn't just wear our flesh for a little while and then cast it aside when He was done with it, like a costume or some dirty clothes. He became flesh. He became this, one of us. This is who Jesus, our Savior, now is. God and man in one person united For eternity. Which is good news for us. That there is hope for us. That our human flesh. Will live for eternity as well. That as John preached in the reading from Revelation this morning. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Not the only. But the first. The first of many more of all who have been freed from our sins by His blood. His blood not only shed on the cross, but born into this world at Christmas. So, while December 25th comes at the end of a calendar year, it is for us the start of eternity. Jesus' birth into this world for our birth into the next. So the church never moves on from Christmas. It simply is too important. It is why Luther called the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper the manger in which Jesus lies for us today. His Christmas body and blood, once dead but now risen, now here for us. But the same body and blood. Do this, Jesus said, in remembrance of that, of Christmas, of me. But while the church never moves on from Christmas, we do hear the rest of the story that Christmas began. We do move into Epiphany and Lent and Easter, but building on the story, not leaving anything behind, not moving on to the next big thing, but unfolding, unpacking the story. 
And this is what John, the apostle and evangelist, who are commemorating today, he helps us do that. And very uniquely. He is the only New Testament writer with three kinds of writings for us. Luke has two. His gospel that goes by his name and then the history of the book of Acts. Paul wrote all kinds of letters, epistles, but only John has a gospel, three epistles, and the apocalyptic book of Revelation. So we heard from John three times today, the only time in the church year that ever happens. And from John we hear many things we would not have known had John not written them. There was certainly no shortage of things to write about Jesus' life. As John told us, if one were to write everything Jesus did, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And we would not have the time to read them all. So what is included must be important. Must have something to tell us, to teach us. So, what to learn today from the verses we heard from John, especially those verses we heard about the saying that spread among the disciples that John, here called the disciple whom Jesus loved, was not going to die. What can we possibly learn from an intra-disciple misunderstanding and perhaps even jealousy? Jealousy, I say, because right before the verses we heard today, Jesus tells Peter how he is going to die. By what kind of death he was going to glorify God. That is, how he would be martyred, killed for preaching Christ. Which, quite frankly, should not have been a surprise. Jesus had told them before that they would be thrown out of the synagogues and killed by people who thought that by doing so, they were offering service to God. But still, it's, it's a shock to us to hear of death. Like Peter, we all know we're going to die. But we do not know the when or the where or the how. Imagine if you were in Peter's shoes. Imagine if you were told how you were going to die. But not the when or the where. Would you like to know that? Or that you were going to die a martyr's death. And so glorify God by your death. Or would you be like Peter and say to Jesus, Ah, Lord, I'd like to return my gift. I'd like his gift of not dying. Yeah, I think that would be better. Thank you. But as John correctly points out, Jesus didn't say John wasn't going to die. But God has different plans for all of us. He doesn't treat us all the same. While he loves us all the same, we're all different. And love takes that into account. 
What's good for you might not be good for me. What I am able to handle, you may not be able to handle. What you need may not be what I need. And so God, in his perfect wisdom and love, doesn't give us all the same things. We don't all have the same exact presence wrapped all the exact same way, all identical under the tree. That's not love. That's indifference. That's uncaring. That's whatever. And so that's not God. God is never whatever, indifferent or uncaring. And so to each of us, what is exactly right for us? To which we might object like Peter and say, well, that's not fair. And maybe it's not fair. But maybe it's better. Better than fair. Maybe it's good. Like how God created all things in the beginning before we messed it all up with sin. Maybe it's love, like how God is restoring the creation we messed up and still do. So John treated Jesus treated John differently than Peter, and he treats you differently than John and Peter, and he treats you different than me, and that's good. But while there are some gifts that Jesus distributes differently, there are some he gives to us all. John wants you to know that too. And chief among those is the forgiveness of sins. He does not withhold that from anyone. We heard some familiar words about that this morning, words that we sometimes use in our liturgy. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he said this too. If anyone does sin, anyone, no limitation on that, anyone We have an advocate with the Father, someone who will stand up for us, someone who will stand in for us. Jesus Christ, the righteous, that is, Jesus the Christ, the Word made flesh. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, not for just a few, but also for the sins of the whole world. So there is one Christmas gift for all the same. The one that we need the most. And so just as the church never moves past Christmas, so we never move past this gift either. Like we don't need it anymore. John says that too. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So if we ever show up one Sunday and say or think, I haven't sinned this week, we're in trouble. It's no small thing to call God a liar. But the opposite of that is true too, and trouble too. If we show up and say or think, I sinned too much this week, there's no forgiveness for me. There is. When John said that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, he didn't say, oh, except you. 
Not that one. Whole world means whole world. And each and every one of your sins. No matter how big or how little. The baby in the manger grew up to bear them all on his cross. Which is why we don't move on from Christmas or this gift. But every week here in the divine service, we begin with a confession and absolution, and then we sing the same song the angels sang when Jesus was born. The Gloria in Excelsis. This is the gift we need, the gift given, and the gift received. That whenever we die, however we die, wherever we die, whether it's a martyr's death like Peter or like John after a long life, our flesh will live eternally. The glory of Christmas that the world moves past so quickly will be ours without end. And then with with such a gift, John says, we have something special here. A fellowship here, which we call the church. And fellowship means more than we're just a bunch of people who like each other and hang out together. You may not, in fact, like everyone here or in the church. But still, we have something, a fellowship here that transcends that. That's greater than that. For the word fellowship there is the same word that we use in the creed for the communion of saints. And for the communion that we have here. It is to be bonded together in a common thing. A common one. In Jesus. In his Christmas flesh. The flesh that we're baptized into. The flesh that we receive in the Lord's Supper. The flesh that gifts us the forgiveness of sins. United to Christ like that unites us to one another in a very special way. That whether I like you or not, you are my brother, my sister. And I will love you like that. I will care for you like that. I will live with you like that forever. Another reason why the church does not, cannot move past Christmas. For while Christmas happened at a particular moment in time when the Word became flesh, it actually encompasses all of time. For the Word who became flesh is the one, again, as John told us, and I told you, he tells us an awful lot. Who is and who was and who is to come. The infinite God in finite flesh and blood. Or as John also put it, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. That is, the one who was in the beginning, the Word who was with God and the Word who was God. We've now heard Him and seen Him and touched Him. No one ever did that before. Christmas has changed everything. 
Now God has flesh and blood. You can't make this stuff up. It's too fantastic, too wonderful. Yet John says it's true. We are the eyewitnesses, the ear witnesses, and we want you and all the world to know it. But to know especially this. Not to be jealous of the apostles, as perhaps Peter was jealous of the one who didn't have to die. But rather to know that you have something even greater. For while maybe you didn't get to touch Jesus, he has touched you. He baptized you and made you his own, his child. He puts his body and blood into your mouth for the forgiveness of your sins. He washes you with the blood of his forgiveness. And because he does, you have life. A life without end. A gift that not martyrdom or old age or even COVID can take away. So, Let the world move on from Christmas. We'll keep it. Because our Lord took our flesh and keeps it. And keeps us. He's not ashamed of us. Or ashamed to become one of us. Not at all. Rather, as John tells us, this is his glory. That when we see Jesus, whether it's in the manger or in the Jordan or on the cross, we see the glory of God. So, yes, thank you, we'll keep Christmas. But even better, our Christmas God will keep us forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.